beneath the seat in front of you. Kids who are headed to Gospel Project, preschool and children age, you are dismissed. We hope you have a great time. And someone left me an eyeball up here. Is that you, Todd? No. All right. I'm going to keep my eye on the eye. If you don't have a Bible underneath the seat, one that looks like this. You can turn to page 529 in those Bibles. We reached this morning the final words of John's brilliant biography of Jesus. And in just a minute, we'll read about half the chapter, but I want to read just the first two, the last two verses to introduce this. So look at verse 24 with me. This is the disciple, John speaking of himself here, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John's using a lot of legal language there, saying, I've given you the expert eyewitness testimony. You can count on this. It's trustworthy. It's reliable. Verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What an ending. John had a magnificent vision of Jesus Christ. His life-giving comprehension of Jesus' character, his teaching, his work, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. John has given us a most beautiful picture of Christ. John was consumed by Jesus. He says, I can't imagine the world being able to contain the books if everything was written down that could be said about Jesus. He can't imagine exhausting all of Jesus' love for him. It sounds a lot like what Paul says in Philippians, that even after all that he knew already about Jesus, he still wanted to know him more. Uh, friends, those who know Jesus the best, still long for more and more knowledge and experience and understanding of Jesus. This is our 44th sermon on the book of John. We have at least one feels that way. At, uh, we've spent almost a year together considering what John has written. But don't misunderstand these 44 weeks to have been exhaustive. There is still more to learn about Jesus. John's hope would be that we would believe, brothers and sisters, but that we would continue to believe and be ever-growing in that belief. And so may this serve merely as an introduction to the life of Christ, and may we, church, continue to give ourselves to obeying and enjoying and knowing Christ more and more. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, understand that this whole gospel that we have been considering was written mainly for you. It was written that you might believe in Jesus Christ. And so our remaining hope and prayer would be that you would place your trust in Christ, that you would turn from a life without God to a life of dependency on God. Maybe you still have remaining questions about Jesus. If so, there are three other biographies about Jesus in the Bible. If you were to 
turn back from John, you would come to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are all contemporary accounts written uh, about Christ that we might understand who He is and what He's done. The shortest of those is Mark. Maybe you'd want to take time to read it over the remainder of the summer. I can't encourage you enough to do that and to do it with another person. This room is uh, full of people who would love to meet up with you once a week. So ask somebody you know or get to know somebody new or come ask one of the pastors and we'll help connect you with someone or meet up with you ourselves. And just get together and say, we're going to read Mark 1. What does this tell us? And try to reach a deeper understanding of what it says. Church, today we'll be studying this final interaction that John records Jesus having with a few of his disciples. These verses have benefit for all of us as we seek to follow Christ. They also have particular application for those that the Lord has appointed to be pastors. So this morning what we'll do is consider together both the the broad meaning or broad application of these verses for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, and then briefly consider in particular the more narrow application for those of us who are pastors. Last week, if you were with us, we saw the fishing text. We saw Jesus telling the disciples to throw out their nets and caught a huge catch. And that was demonstrative of the church throwing out the gospel message and more and more people being caught up in the love of Jesus. And then it ended with a fish breakfast. That sounds pretty nasty, doesn't it? No? Fish for breakfast is not, not normal, at least for me. We just had a good breakfast, didn't we? Yes. You're going to be a tough crowd this morning. I can tell already. Well, they had a fish breakfast, and then this happened. Verse 15. Christina, would you come and read for us John 21, 15 through 25. This is a continuation of the passage we began last week. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by which kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, 
Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thank you. Let's consider together this uh, passage, and you can just take two words that summarize both uh, main paragraphs. One, the, the restoration of Peter, and therefore what we all can learn from that restoration. And then the commissioning of Peter and the other disciples and what we can learn from that. As Jesus and the disciples finished breakfast, Jesus struck in a very important conversation with Peter. I don't know if you like serious conversations at breakfast time. Many of us probably do not. But Jesus took this occasion to engage Peter on a most important issue. If you're just joining us this morning and you haven't heard the rest of the Gospel of John, this seems like a very incredibly odd interaction. They finish breakfast and Jesus seemingly out of nowhere says to Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. And feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. What is up with this interaction? Friends, it's actually incredibly helpful. Here's what's at stake. Uh, Brothers and sisters, do you ever wonder if God can use you again? Do you ever find yourself thinking, I have fallen too far. I have done this too many times. I have remained apathetic for too long. I have, I have, I have, I have, I have, I have. And therefore, there is no way that God can use me. I would imagine most of us have some awareness of our shortcomings. We know as believers that God has loved us completely and that God has forgiven us entirely. And yet, even while we have this awareness of the love of God, we still find ourselves failing, often in very significant ways. And so the self-talk going on when that happens many times sounds something like this, yes, God, thank you that you have forgiven me, mostly, I, I think, but I doubt sometimes. But God, I don't really at all think that you could ever use me again to help anyone else. God, after all I've done, after all my failures, after all my apathy, after all that I don't know still, 
Can you still use me? Christian, the answer to that question is an emphatic, absolutely. Because we see in this text Jesus not only forgiving, but restoring, reinstating Peter to service. And thereby, we are shown that a life of service can be reinstated for anyone. Let me illustrate this basic principle from the exchange between Peter and Jesus. Rewind with me, if you would, not, not simply to the, the breakfast and the fishing, but back further, back before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, before the trials, even before Jesus was arrested. On the night of all the mayhem when Jesus would be taken, On that night, Jesus gathered together his closest disciples in a room, and he told them a whole bunch of really important things. If you missed it, go back to John 13 and just read those next few chapters. Jesus got these disciples together and and told them, here's what's going to happen to me. And Peter was there, and in his bold, normal, assertive way, said, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. The Gospel of Matthew includes this detail, Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter answered him, that's Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter meant, even if all the other disciples run, deny, reject you, Jesus, I never will. I will stand singularly for you. And yet within just a few hours, Peter would deny even knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. And not to people that would have had any sort of clout. Peter, far from standing faithfully with Christ during his trials and crucifixion, he boldly denied any knowledge of Christ. But hear those words. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Have you said something similar? God, even if everybody else I know does this, not me. God, even if she won't, even if, even if he, even if I won't, God, I'll never. Seems like those pronouncements almost guarantee that we in fact will. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, with those words in mind, listen to verse 15 again. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, which was his name before Jesus called him. Jesus is giving Peter a reset. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
You remember the same disciples are there around, the same disciples who heard Peter say, even if all of them deny you, Jesus, I never will. I will not fall away. And now Jesus, with some bite to his words, says to Peter, you want another chance? Even if they all say they love me, do you love me more than them? Jesus is giving Peter another chance here. But it comes almost in the form of first a a rebuke. Peter, you said you'd never fall away and you have. Do you in fact love me now? More than these? Will you be so bold as to claim that you love me even more than all the other disciples? These same disciples that saw you fall away. From Peter's response, we can see that his failure had a humbling effect. We see that he learned from his sin. We see a measure of self-denial and reliance on God has been nurtured experientially in his life. But notice Jesus' response. He doesn't merely say, I forgive you, Peter. He doesn't pat him on the back and say, better luck next time. He doesn't say, it's no big deal. He goes far beyond mere forgiveness and reinstates Peter. It says in verse 15, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. I struggled in math, but I can tell that's three times. One reinstatement one instruction, one commendation, one command for each failure. Jesus in his infinite love and grace and truth and wisdom is saying to Peter, Peter, you did in fact fail me in the most serious way. But Peter, those failures don't get the last word. Friends, whatever mistake you've made, when you repent, when you confess your sin, then as a regenerate follower of Jesus Christ, you are not only forgiven, you're not only embraced by the Father yet again, you're also again given opportunity to be used by God for the benefit of others. There is, in fact, no failure that will ever get the final word. No Christian's failure is ever final. There is always and forever opportunity to hear Jesus say again, do you love me? Do you love me? That is an invitation to repent and to return. And friends, when we repent and return, then Jesus not only forgives but he reinstates. Whatever mistakes you've made, 
brothers and sisters, whether they are recent or in the very ancient past. As you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, then we are never sidelined. We are never outcast. We're never soiled or wasted or expired or damaged goods. God always holds out good works that He has for us to do. Isn't that great news? Paul said in Ephesians that God marked out good works for us far ahead of time. So in that way, it's rather arrogant that we would claim that we could make some mistake so severe that God would simply have nothing more for us to do for His kingdom for the rest of our lives. You don't have that kind of power. Jesus is about the work of reinstating people to continue His work. You see, in Peter's case, Jesus restored him not only to renewed relationship, communion, fellowship with Him, but also to His work as an apostle. If you're unfamiliar with Peter's life, I would encourage you later today to pick up your Bible and read the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. The events in Acts occurred just days after this after-breakfast meal, uh, after-breakfast conversation with Jesus in which Peter stood in the city of Jerusalem clothed with power from the Holy Spirit, stood and gave a great sermon which many, many, many people came to Christ. And the very first church in the city of Jerusalem was born. God, in fact, went on to use Peter in the most dramatic ways for his glory. And perhaps Peter could not have known that kind of fruit if Peter had not first known this kind of failure. Whatever is in your past, be it bankruptcy or pride, pornography, chronic lying, adultery, gluttony, a screwed up family of origin, chronic cheating on exams, dishonoring your parents, bitterness and unforgiveness that's eaten away at your soul, a recurring drug or alcohol problem. Brothers and sisters, there is no, for the Christian, permanently disqualifying sin from the ministries of the people of God. That doesn't exist. Peter's life shows us this. And so, brothers and sisters, here at the end of John, we're being asked by Jesus, do you love me? If we love him, then we will in fact participate in his work. And that will mean that we're moving beyond our failure into greater and greater trust of Him. So confident am I that this is the meaning of this text that we can see not merely that Jesus reinstated Peter, but that Peter couldn't even get beyond the reinstatement without making a mess of himself again. You see, Jesus told him, later on, Peter, you're going to, in fact, do what you said earlier you you would do. You said you'd die for me, but you denied me. 
but Peter, in your future, you are going to die for me. You're going to be crucified like me. That's what Jesus' words to him meant about the stretching out of his arms and being dressed and taken where he doesn't want to go. This isn't simply symptomatic of what happens to all of us if we live long enough. Other people dress us and we get taken where we don't want to go. This is rather Jesus telling Peter, you will die by crucifixion. But Peter's reaction to that isn't. The the splendor, the wonder, the mercy, the graciousness of God. It's rather, what about him? What about John? So quickly does Peter move from, yes, Lord, you know I love you, to, why would I get that and John not? Peter can't even get through his reinstatement without failing yet again. And yet Jesus, with full confidence to him, commissions him for the work. The grace of God, friends, is scandalous. Peter was still impulsive. He was still concerned with others. He was still jockeying for his relative position compared to, in particular, John. And yet Jesus still reinstated him. Friends, every disciple of Jesus Christ, every Christian, must be faithful to whatever life is given by Jesus. There are in some parts of our state and many parts of other states, these little things that come from the sky at times called snowflakes. And I have heard that every snowflake is different from every other snowflake. That there are, in fact, no two identical snowflakes. First of all, I would wonder, how in the world does somebody know that? But second, by way of illustration or analogy, brothers and sisters, there are no two identical Christian walks. And so it is always inappropriate to say, well, what about about him? What about her? Why do I have X, Y, Z? God, if you really love me, this would be easier. Everybody would get the same thing. The love of God is far more personal in some generic sense that makes us all clones. Friends, envy, comparison, and jealousy. These are the enemies of vitality in Christ. These are the things that put a lid on your fruitfulness in the ministries that God gives you. Peter is concerned not simply with the life that Jesus has called him to and being obedient to that life. He wants it to be better than the life of others. How often these problems remain. A life of devoted service to God in the stuff of everyday life will be hard for every Christian. 
And God gives each of us a plate. Some of us get those little dessert plates. Others of us get those big platters. Most of us get something in between. But all of us, our job is to fill the plate that God gives us and to seek to be faithful with whatever He sets before us. Irrespective of how much the person to our right or left may have on their plate. You see, following Jesus is a, a, a single path trail. No one else can walk your path. You must do it with Christ. And His eye is on you. This is driving me nuts. I saw it on the floor earlier and without thinking, picked it up and handed it to Austin. And Austin, if you don't know, only has one eye. The other doesn't work. And uh, that was completely unintentional. So I'm confessing my stupidity to all of you. <clears throat> Friends, are you envious and jealous and given to comparison? If so, learn from Peter. Learn from his interaction with Jesus. Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, John's going to live a long time. John's going to outlive all the other disciples, which means his suffering lasted longer than yours. And he'll be exiled to an island all by himself. He'll live to be an old man experiencing old man pains and aches. And he will see far more years of suffering and hardship than you will. Oh, Peter, patting him on the head. Jesus says, no, you follow me. Christian, the answer to envy, jealousy, comparison is simply to hear Jesus say, you can follow me. Follow me. I love you. I will be faithful to you whatever you face. I will sustain you. I will fill your plate. I will use you beyond your wildest dreams. One of the books that served me the most as we've worked our way through John is a commentary written by a a British pastor named J.C. Ryle. Uh, J.C., as a young pastor, new wife, new kid, his wife passed away. He was left pastoring a church with a young child. He got married again, had more kids, and that wife also passed away. So he's left not once, but a second time with no wife, with a slew of children, and with the demands of pastoral ministry. And yet, J.C. wrote this. Let us pray while we live in health that we may glorify God in our end. Let us leave it to God to choose the where and when and how and all the manner of our departing. Let us only ask that it may glorify God. Friends, may our 
focus be? Not on what's happening with him or her and why they seem to have it better or easier than me, but on every day and in particular the end being maximized for the glory of God. That is the way out of envy comparison. But don't miss the larger point. The grace of God is extensive enough to cover even all failures when we're failing in the middle of being reinstated to service. There is nothing like Jesus' love for you. It is a love that covers every sin. It is a love that can enable you in new ways of service, irrespective of how you've failed in the past. Jesus restored Peter, and he will restore you as he sees fit, Christian. He will recommission you in appropriate gospel ministry to further his work. We have the last uh, six weeks or so as a church family been highlighting opportunities to serve that will come up in August. See, in August, Tempe will again swell with people. This room won't be a third empty like it is now. It'll be overflowing. There will be ongoing opportunities for ministry. And so we try to use the front half of the summer to prepare for the fall and into the spring. And many of those ministry positions are already taken. But some of you have yet to commit. And a few of the some, I am sure that there are mitigating factors that would make it impossible or very difficult to sign up for some ongoing ministry on Sunday mornings. And that's totally fine. We all will have seasons like that. But my guess is, that the majority of the sum, that your issue is in fact that you need to experience being reinstated by God. Because what you feel is failure. And so here in these words from Jesus to Peter, that this is not simply for Jesus and Peter. It's rather from Jesus to you. The Lord would hold out to you, Christian, the, the joy. And it is, in fact, I think, the greatest joy this side of heaven to be a conduit being used by God to benefit the church, to build up the people of God and witness to those who have not yet heard is the greatest of all privileges. Your failure is not so significant that Jesus isn't continually saying to you, do you love me? Then repent and return that he might reinstate you into appropriate areas of service. It is most often a sense of ineptness or a lack of appropriating the life-giving commissioning of Peter to ourselves that keeps us from being used by God in the ways that he would want. So I encourage you with that word, church. Now this is what the broad application of this text is, but 
in our remaining couple of moments together today for the next five, six minutes, would you consider a more narrow implication or application of this passage? And that's caught up in the way in which Jesus reinstated Peter and what he told Peter to do and what Peter later said about this. See, one very helpful thing to notice about your Bible is that these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record events that happened prior to Jesus' return and the Spirit being sent. And thereby, what I'm saying is, everything else, Acts through Revelation, all came after what's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they are simply the outworkings of what Jesus said and did in the Gospels. And so one of the most helpful things we can do is in light of what John has taught us, let's think about everything else in the New Testament. Now, you probably don't want to stay with me long enough to do that, but let's narrow the field and say, is there anything that Peter said later that is very clearly an echo of his experience with Jesus in John 21? You with me? Okay. There is. There is a very, very clear passage. I'll read it in just a moment. But before we do that, notice the commands. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. The word tend is the verb form of the noun pastor. And so what Jesus is telling Peter is pastor my people. Verse 17, feed my sheep. Now, as far as we know, Jesus wasn't into petting zoos. No, he's, he's telling Peter, Peter, it's not enough for there simply to be an evangelistic work of casting out the gospel and pulling in people with the love of God. It's not enough simply to evangelize. No, you see, churches must be started. People must be baptized. And then they must be taught to grow up into maturity in Christ. People need more than evangelism. Christians need the gospel too. People need pastors. And Peter, I am appointing you as an apostle, as a pastor, as an elder, to continue the work that I have started. How do we know that Peter took it like that? Well, again, remember Acts through Revelation? All of that comes later. In 1 Peter 5, we read these words. Peter says, Now exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Do you hear Peter? He's saying, I remember what Jesus said. He told me to shepherd the people of God. And I am just one of many fellow pastors. Church, by God's grace, we have a team of pastors here at Church on Mill. 
Todd, who prayed uh, earlier, is one of those pastors. Tad, who's sitting here towards the front, is one of those pastors. Randy, who's off in a connection class right now, is one of those pastors. We are simply fellow elders, along with Peter, in a long history of people that God has marked out to continue this work. We are not of a different status or class of Christian. Rather, we're simply people who have been appointed for a particular type of service. We understand our job to be what Jesus told Peter and then what Peter recounted and told all pastors in 1 Peter 5. We are under shepherds, under Jesus Christ. And notice those words that Jesus told Peter. Tend your own flock. Tend your people. Feed your lambs. Is that what he said? No. He said, my. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Friends, the church belongs to no pastor. Belongs to Jesus Christ. It is his body. And so shepherds serve with open hands, recognizing that I'm simply an under shepherd under Jesus, simply one through whom he works for the good of his people. Jesus was particularly concerned that pastors lean into their feeding or teaching ministry. Friends, our work as your pastors is mainly to study and pray and teach God's Word, to teach all the easy things and the more difficult ones. The texts that feel close to our experience and those ones that feel far removed, that we all might continue to grow up in Jesus Christ. Our hope is to lovingly tell you everything God says and to do it accurately and boldly and compassionately and humbly and comprehensively because we're all in such need of God's good word, a word that is sufficient to instruct us in all things that we might have life and continue to believe in Jesus Christ. And so would you please pray for the four of us as we seek to do this important work. Pray that as Jesus told those disciples to abide in Jesus, that we would abide in Jesus. Pray that we would be quick to see our own failures, that we might confess those and be reinstated again to service. Pray that even among our little team of four, that we would not compare ourselves to each other, but rather be content with the relative gifts that God gives each of us. Pray that we would have unity as we do the work together. Pray that our understanding of God's Word would grow, that we wouldn't become apathetic or the stories wouldn't lack their freshness ever, but that we would continue to become closer and closer to Christ. Pray that even as we work with you to foster the ministries of this church, that we would keep our eyes up beyond just Church on Mill to the vision that we have as a church family of sending people to help start new works elsewhere and to revitalize struggling works. Church, you make this work of eldering a joy and not a drudgery as, drudgery as you respond to God's Word. As you follow our leadership 
as you joyfully submit yourselves to us, even as you submit to the Lord, as you diligently preserve the unity that God's given us as a body. But even as I say all of that, it's also important to say, brothers and sisters, that your fellow elders are never to be followed in an ultimate sense. You see, our authority as pastors is relative. All submission to any human authority, be it secular or sacred, is only commensurate to that authority themselves following God. So if we ever stray from biblical doctrine, if I ever say this is what God says when that is in fact not what God says, and you humbly correct me and I don't repent and return, and this continues in an ongoing way, and if any of the elders do the same, then your job is to shoo us away. If we ever deny the gospel in significant unrepentant sin, your job is to shoo us away. Galatians 1 holds the entire church responsible for allowing false teaching to continue in the body. So you see, brothers and sisters, the authority, the leadership of the elders is only a relative derivative authority. You are only to follow us as we follow Christ. Which means, of course, that we all must be following Christ ourselves, growing in our knowledge of Scripture. But to the degree that we're following the Lord, then the Lord's expectations is that you would follow us. Why does John end his gospel here? There is no way, of course, to definitively answer that. But perhaps, even as John was writing all these decades later, considering the life that he has been able to live to the glory of God through Christ, aided by the Spirit, maybe that image of Jesus calling himself the Good Shepherd is what most stood out to him. So as we close our study of this great gospel, I'd love to end with those words. This comes from John, verse 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Church, Jesus is our good shepherd. He only wants what's best. And he always and forever will lead you into what is for your ultimate good. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Who's that? That's us. And that's more than us. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock. One shepherd. May it be so. Let's pray.